Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is ZibbyOwens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Renee Rosen is the author of The Social Graces. She's the best-selling author of Park Avenue Summer, Windy City Blues, White Collar Girl, What the Lady Wants, and Dollface. She's also the author of Every Crooked Pot, a YA novel published in 2007. Renee lives in Chicago. Welcome, Renee. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Social Graces. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So will you tell listeners what your book is about? And then I want to hear what inspired you to write it. Okay, sort of the elevator pitch. The Social Graces is based on the true story of two very powerful women, Alva Vanderbilt and Caroline Astor, who were vying for control of New York society during the Gilded Age. So on the one hand, you have Caroline Astor, who was the Mrs. Astor. She was the reigning queen of society and the gatekeeper. She determined who was in and who was left out in the cold. And they went so far as to actually draw up a list of the 400. And there were literally 400 names that they deemed were allowed into fashionable society. And ironically, Alva Vanderbilt was not on that list. So, you know, why didn't Mrs. Astor want Alva Vanderbilt in society? 
And it was really because society was divided into two very distinctive camps. So on the one hand, you had the Knickerbockers or the old money. And on the other side, you had the industrialists or the nouveau riche, the new money. And Caroline Astor was a Knickerbocker. She did not like new money. She especially did not like railroad money. And she felt that one's money, one's wealth should be inherited, not earned, which I think is a great gig if you can get it. (laughs) But, you know, she thought the nouveau riche were really flashy and tacky and they didn't have many manners. My God, they ate their peas with a fork rather than a fork and knife. And Alva, of course, was railroad money. She was new money and she took great offense to the exclusion and set up this bitter rivalry between these two women. And it became a competition who could throw the most elaborate ball, who had the more expensive clothes, who had the bigger mansion. And a bookseller friend of mine said, oh, my God, this is like the Real Housewives of New York City, but in Worth Counts. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a good, good description. And really, it's about ladies behaving badly. <laughs> But as you point out in the book, Mrs. Astor's money from that also was nouveau at some point, right? Like that was also from an industrial fortune as well. So which which she conveniently yeah she does not like to admit that. Yeah, I didn't research. Was Emily really the daughter's name? And did that did any of that ever happen, or was that totally your imagination? No. So I took some liberties because at the end of the day, I'm trying to tell a story. But by that happen, I mean, there is a scene at the very beginning of the book where Emily, the daughter, Caroline's daughter, slips and falls and Alva is there to rescue her. Okay. Now that actually came about as of a research trip. I went to Newport, Rhode Island, which was the summer fun spot for the the rich. And and they had these cottages, you know, those 50 and 75 room cottages. And they're all along the Atlantic. And there's this famous walkway called Cliff Walk. And John and I, you know, wanted to walk. I was, I wanted to see the back of the cottages and everything. And I'm not paying, I'm so enamored of the homes. I'm not paying any attention to the signs like warning, you know, pathway, you know, about to end, advance at your own peril, 50 foot cliffs. And I'm not wearing sensible shoes, you know, and we come to this impasse and it's literally just rugged, rock and, you know, very rugged terrain. And John practically carried me over that. And he said, I think we need to turn around and go back. And I said, oh no, I will never make it back over that. I will die. And so I thought that was the worst of it. That was a cakewalk compared to what lay ahead. And it was like three hours. Oh no. (laughs) Just, and I thought if I survive this, I am using this. So that's actually where that scene came from. Oh my gosh. But in terms of the, the, other daughters, Caroline had four daughters mm-hmm. and they each gave her a run for her money. So the, the various scandals of the daughters were definitely factually based. The stagecoach driver, the whole thing. Well, that part took a little, yeah, you see, you're more, I'm, my head's already into the next book. So you're oh, sorry. more up to speed. No, I forgot about that. No, I did take a little bit of, of license with that. But in terms of Charlotte was definitely the rebel. And she did have a a scandal that went viral, Gilded Age style, you know, (laughs) and Carrie, the youngest, did go on a hunger strike. And Emily did cause her father to enter a duel. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. You know, was was posed with, you know, being challenged to a duel. And, you know, Helen was kind of the obedient daughter. And I found it interesting how you handled, now I'm blanking on his name, Miss Sasters, sort of right-hand 
man. Oh, Ward McAllister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, you know, he had married into wealth to sort of up his station in life and how he was obviously gay, but nobody was talking about it then, right? And right, and how the right. society was sort of handling that. Yeah, yeah. And he was Mrs., you know, Mrs. Astor's escort. So Mrs. Astor's husband was either on his yacht, drunk, or canoodling with harlots or all of the above. And so she was always on her own. And, you know, Ward's wife was also very sickly and couldn't go. So Ward was sort of her escort, but nobody ever suspected that there was anything, you know, (laughs) going on between the two of them. So, And also the suitor who comes back from England and like wears a monocle and pretends he has a British accent. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like a total Uh, poser and... Van Allen. But, you know, of course, they all spoke with that mid-Atlantic accent Mm -hmm. that, you know, is not English and it's not American. It's own, you know, but and yet they they criticized him for talking with a fake British accent. So, well, I just sort of love this theme of like not belonging. Right. Alva, you talk a lot about how she just is trying to fit in, trying to find her place, find her people, feel accepted. And because of her background and her, you know, how she had grown up and always being excluded in school and now being excluded from society and, you know, being disinvited to parties. And that feels like the end of the world, right? What does it mean to really be accepted? And and why, where does society's power really come from? Can it rest with one person? I mean, I know it did, you know, in this fictitious based on reality world, but, you know, who is the arbiter of society now? What is it? Us Weekly? Like who, who does that now? Yeah. I, I, you know, the Kardashians, I don't know, you know, but it's, you know, the thing that I found so fascinating was that, Ward McAllister and Caroline Astor really engineered this thing called society. Mm -hmm. And they did that because, you know, you're talking the 1870s, women had very few rights. You know, they didn't work outside the home. They couldn't own property. They didn't even have their own money. You know, the one thing that they had was social currency. Mm -hmm. So they created this world with its own hierarchy. And that was the only arena where a woman could exercise any sort of influence. You know, she got to plan the menu, the guest list, the, you know, it was the reason they got up in the morning. Somebody had to plan those nine course dinner parties, you know, <laughs> I it actually, gave them purpose. I wouldn't have thought that she was so involved as, you know, I mean, I know like here she's like, add these courses and do this and do that. And, you know, I don't know. I just would have thought like somebody was planning it for her as opposed to like Mrs. They, Astor being like in the weeds, like, you know. Yeah. Well, she ran society like a CEO of a big major corporation. You know, even if the balls that went on till four in the morning, she was at her desk at 830 in the morning, handling her correspondence, you know, and, you know, she did have an assistant. She had a social secretary. Yeah. But that was just somebody to deal with like the florists and, you know, but yeah, they took it really seriously. And it's, and it's so easy to discount it as being so superficial and so frivolous. But when you look at the fact that they had no other outlet, it sort of makes like they were kind of, you know, it's kind of a brilliant move. I mean, to be honest, if you reframed it, it's really like self-government, right? It, that's yeah. sort of what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, that's very true. I didn't think about it like that, but yeah. And if men were, you know, if it had been in the male society, that's what they were kind of doing as well, right? They yeah. had to step, you know the Declaration of Independence and who, who are all the states? These are like <laughs> yeah. you know, another kind of citizens, if you will, of a state that she's yeah. creating. And, you know, they modeled it after Europe. 
mm-hmm. you know, right. because and being a Knickerbocker meant that was the closest thing we had to American royalty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was really it, it was just such a fascinating time to, you know, I was I was just amazed by these people and I could not have dreamed up these characters. Fact is definitely stranger than fiction. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's like, you know, this. it reminds me of Little Women, right? The four sisters and, you know, just the antics and what happens and family and relationships and love interests and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So is this a movie? Is this going to be a movie? It, should, it has to be a movie. Oh, God, from your mouth to, yes, hello. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I mean, has there been a movie? I mean, you must have researched this on the way about these families in this time. You know, not like Age of Innocence is, you know, sort of loosely based on that. But what I'm really waiting for is the HBO series, The Gilded Age, by Julian Fellows, the same man who created yes, Count Abbey. Yeah, right. And I, I don't, I keep checking, like, when is it going to premiere? When is it going to premiere? Because while that is, I'm, I'm sure there will be cameos of the Astors and the Vanderbilts and all that, but it, it's really New York society. So right in the Gilded Age. So I'm very excited for that. I wonder, you should talk. So Alison Pataki has a new book coming out about Marjorie Merriweather Post, yes. which I know is a different era, but also like a, a doyen sort of heiress of society. Might be interesting to have you guys talk yeah. about that, how it changes yeah, over I would, time. I found Merriweather Post was just a one, amazing woman. I mean, she took over her father's business, mm-hmm. you know, and she started Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I'm sure she's, well, we won't even go there. Uh, uh, Yeah, but she's a fascinating character. I saw that because I was actually looking, I was doing some preliminary research into her life. And then I saw that Allison was writing. I'm like, good, yay. (laughs) You know, well, she'll do a fabulous job with that. You guys in touch if you ever want to do anything together or whatever. Yeah. Wait, and you said it a little bit ago that you were so deep in your next book that you were forgetting some of the things in this book. So wait, tell me about the next book. This sounds very exciting already. So the next book I am super excited about, I don't have a title for it yet, but it's about Estee Lauder. Oh. And yeah, 
And she was really a very interesting woman. And she really, she started making these lotions, potions, and elixirs in her in her kitchen, in her Upper West Side apartment. And then she would take them to the beauty parlors and start hawking her wares. And it really focuses on that time period up until she landed her first account at Saks Fifth Avenue, which you weren't in business at the time unless you were at Saks. And she was a real trailblazer. I don't want to give too much away for people that don't know her personal story, but there were there were a few things that didn't quite add up. And it's just a fun look at the cosmetic industry of the time. And, you know, Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein and Charles Rubson, who was the head of Revlon, Max Factor and all that. So I, I'm having so much fun with this book. Amazing. Have you read Rouge by Richard Kirschenbaum? No, no, but I'm trying not to read okay, sorry. other All right. fiction. I'll try, I'll no, no, no. Other only, <laughs> only because only because I have made that mistake of reading fiction that's based, you yep. know, yep. and I'm and then I'm so paranoid the rest of the time that you know it, that I'm being influenced. So and when you're writing about Estee Lauder, like, do you contact? Do you try to get her life rights, or do you talk to the family about anything, or do you just get to use your imagination and run with it? I. So I don't know if you, did you ever see the movie, Will You Ever Forgive Me? Can You Ever Forgive Me? With Mm. Melissa McCarthy. It was based on Lee Israel, who was this New York Times bestselling biographer. And she was forging all these letters later for by Dorothy Parker and all mm-hmm. these other luminaries and all that and got busted. But before she did that, she did an unauthorized biography on Estee Lauder. And, you know, she revealed a lot of stuff that they didn't necessarily want out there. And when the lot when Estee found out about it, she raced to write her own book. So it was it was really a rush to publication. And both books are really not very, if they'd had more time, they would have been good books, but you could tell that they were both rushed. But so that gave me a lot of insight um, because the Lauder family is so involved in uh, protecting Estee's legacy. I decided to not talk to them just yet. (laughs) And I also, like I did in Park Avenue Summer, I've introduced a fictional character who is an assistant buyer at Saks Fifth Avenue, cosmetic buyer. So it's it's sort of because I don't want to tell someone's story when you do biographical historical fiction. I don't want to just tell a story that's already out there in nonfiction form and fictionalize it. I want to bring a new something new to it. Mm-hmm. And using a interweaving a fictional character allows me to do that. How did you get started as a, as a writer? Like give me the quick version story of your life to so make you into a writer. I've wanted I I've known since I was a little girl that I wanted to be a writer. In fact, none of my friends would play Barbies with me because I, all they wanted to do was put on the clothes and I was very concerned with the storyline. And Barbie and Ken cannot go to Paris because first of all they're having financial problems <laughs> and second of all they have a fight. They're in the middle of a fight and they need to resolve that. And they're like just put the clothes on. <laughs> and I was always telling stories. And, you know, like my first book took me 17 years to write. My second book took me 10 years to write. My mother said, if you want to make a living at this, you know, let's, let's pick up the pace. So it was a long, it took me a long time. I got like 300 rejections before I found an agent and, and then I got a book published. And then there was like another seven year dry spell before I got another agent, another book deal. So, you know, very up, down, up, down. So, I mean, it's just amazing how often I hear that 
Like I just, it's just so hard to believe. And then as soon as you somehow like break in and there are all these books, right? You know, like yeah. now you're yeah. just I mean, cranking once, them out, right? <laughs> well, once I found a home and, and I, I feel so fortunate that I've got a great team and I've found a home that I get to do this, you know? And I, I have friends who are either querying for agents or trying to get their first books out there. And it's like, it just takes one. It, you just got to... You just got to have that bounce back, you know, and rejection, five more queries go out, you know, and just, just keep at it. I wonder if there needs to be this, like, like almost like a clearing house, right? Because a lot of really good stuff gets rejected, but then a lot of stuff Absolutely. should be rejected, right? Some of it's not yeah. quite ready, yeah. but as an author, you don't know where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah. And timing accounts for so much of this, you know, a book that wasn't right five years ago could mm-hmm. be perfect for right now. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, people who want to follow a trend because they don't understand how long the mm-hmm. cycle, the publishing cycle is. So, you know, if, if domestic suspense is very hot at a certain time period, everybody wants to do that. And then by the time their book comes out, it's not, or is ready to go to market. It's not fresh anymore. So it's, yep. it, it's a tough business, yep. but it's a wonderful business. Yes. Yes. What do you like to read, by the way? Oh, gosh. I read a lot of historical fiction. I read, and I'm not sure what draws the line between literary and non-literary, but I, I do love beautifully crafted sentences. And, you know, I will just savor that. And some, you know, and I discovered audiobooks during the pandemic. I couldn't read in the beginning. Like many people, there was, you know, few distractions going on. And so I started listening to audiobooks and working jigsaw puzzles. And that got me through the pandemic. And now I'm sort of hooked on audiobooks, hmm. which is great because I'm able to get more more reading in. I don't know if that counts as reading. It counts. I'm, I'm it counts. Really, it, it counts. Okay. <laughs> I did a um, like a Facebook Live recently with the founder of Audiophile Magazine. So I had this whole talk with her, Robin, about the audio and how it's changing over time and like where it's going. And it's like, there's such a boom, right? People love to listen yeah. and they didn't even know it, yeah. right? With podcasts yeah. and audio. I mean, here we are talking, oh, people are listening. So yeah. And it's great. You know, you, you, you go and work out and get lost in a book and you're not thinking about, oh my God, three more minutes of this, you know, of this grueling workout, you know, and so I don't know. It's it's kind of I've always got my pods in, mm-hmm. and I'm always I've always got a book queued up. So so what's what's today? Just out of curiosity. Today, what am I reading? I just started the new Sally Rooney book. Oh okay. Did it come out today? I think it must have just come out. Yeah, yeah. And so that's just a treat. Awesome. You know. Yeah. Excellent. Amazing. So, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? You know, you got the usual, you know, you got to read and write and read and write and read and write. But I think the secret sauce really is you have to believe it's going to happen for you. I think when you absolutely commit to it and believe it's going to happen, I just think doors start to open. You'll start to meet people. Like I didn't know another writer when, you know, I decided I was going to write books. I I hadn't met anybody else that was doing this. I don't even know where it came from that I was going to do this, but at some point you just have to believe if it happened for one other person, why can't it happen for you? And the power of belief is just really, it's, 
it's a real thing. And it keeps you going when the disappointments come and you brush yourself off. And as long as you just make that commitment to yourself and know in your heart of hearts that it is going to happen and you just keep going. I love that. I did this like weight loss program on Noom and they uh-huh. have all these like, you know, positive psychology and you know behavior modification techniques. But one of the things they say right in the beginning is the biggest determinant of whether or not you will lose weight on this app is if you believe you will. Like mm-hmm. that is 85% yep. of your, of the success comes from the belief. I believed yeah. it and then it didn't work. But anyway, it's not, I mean, I did lose some weight, but then I gained it all right back. So I don't know. They didn't talk about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did believe and while I was believing it worked. So I think it applies to, to most things in life, you know, and um, yeah. that conviction. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Renee, thank you so much. Thanks for talking about the social graces. I really want to see this as a, a movie or a limited or something because I'm so oh, fascinated when- and I really wanted to hear more about all of the characters and you know, tracking Caroline and Emily and all of them. I mean, I don't know. It's, I left wanting more. So I'll just say that. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, I hope to see you in person sometime. Yes. Yes. That would be great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.